Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 94 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? I hope you're doing well. Um, I just wanted to mention two things about this episode. Um, First off, the album comes out June 14th. You can pre-order it now at um, Mike and Barrett's website, which I'll have a link to at mandolinsandbeer.com. And Mike wanted me to also let you know that they are going to be doing a limited run of vinyl copies of this album if you are a vinyl fanatic. So... I wanted to get those things out of the way, and I wanted to thank Mike and Barrett for doing the podcast. It was such a good time, and and um, you can really hear it in their voices what this project means to them. So I hope you take some time to check it out, and Mike has uh, actually been kind enough to send me a tune to put at the end of this episode. So you'll hear samples of some tracks throughout the episode, and then a full version of a tune at the very end. So stick around for that. Let's get into the sponsors this week with Peghead Nation streaming video courses, a mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass and old-time music and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Check this lineup out. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fivish, Chad Manning. Beginner to advanced, jazz to bluegrass, they got it all at Peghead Nation. They got high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play and get your first month free go to pegheadnation.com use the promo code mandolin beer all one word at checkout also northfield mandolins let's build more than a mandolin together check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings demonstrations and special workshops Also, be sure to check out their Instagram if you like pictures of killer mandolins. And speaking of killer mandolins, Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player right out of Austin, Texas. All right, let's get into the episode. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow me. And um, if you uh, listen on iTunes, if you could do a rating and leave a review, that'd be awesome as well. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. Mike Gugino, how's it going, Mike? Good, man. Good to be back, Daniel. Yeah, cool. great to have you back. Thank you for letting me know about this Italian album. It's amazing. Yeah, well, thanks for helping me kind of get it out to the to the mandolin people in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we dig into that, we're going to be joined by uh, by the bass player in the band, but it, um, he played guitar on this album. Yeah. And, uh, Bear was actually a guitar player first, and then... Uh, he started playing bass much later. Now he's the bass player in the Steve Canyon Rangers. So. That's awesome. Yeah. It, everybody in that band, we a thank you for the tickets last night for oh, the show. Sure. Great show, and I can't believe you guys. I mean, an acoustic instrument band playing in the uh, rain uncovered. <laughs> That's yeah, not not very smart, is it? Well, <laughs> it was appreciated though. Well, it was. I tell you, it was our first show back since March of 2020. And it was the first time all six of us were together again to play a show. And so I think it, it was like, we're going to play no yeah. matter what. Unless it starts lightning and hailing, we're going to, it was just drizzling a little, you know, light rain. So just had a lot of towels and <laughs> yeah. a lot of tuning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Your tech was uh, very handy with the uh, towels everywhere. Yes. There was about a 
pile of 15 towels on the stool behind, <laughs> behind my instruments over there. Yeah, a lesser band would have called it, though, you know, because it, it came up. And I mean, honestly, at one point I was like, uh, it looked like maybe you guys were going to take a break. But I think maybe just your singer's in-ears were acting. Yeah, he was having something going on with his in-ears. But yeah, again, I, you know, we hadn't played a show together in a year and a half. So mm. we were we were we were pumped just to be together playing music again. Yeah, it was so great, man. And is I mean I know it didn't pour, but like the stage at the end, it, I mean it looked like something you would see in like a disaster film. I, I, <laughs> Just I, covered in water, all the I, set lists are all soaked. And I looked over at Mike, our drummer, um, toward the end of the show. And I kind of stepped over near the drums and, and when he was hitting the drums, water was just splashing off of them. And I just looked at him like, and just kind of gave this face and he just said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're just drums. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's great. Well, you guys, I mean, you put out three albums yes. in, in the pandemic and um, the newest one, you guys did a ton of the songs off of it last night or a, a big portion of your set last night was the new album yeah for sure you know it was weird to release a brand new album and then not be able to go on tour so we actually haven't played those songs for live audiences very much so wow we've been trying to play a lot of the new, the new stuff off that on and on. Great, that's great, great tunes, and yeah. really great live, great live songs. Yeah, um, they are. Yeah, they are. They're good live songs, and I can I can really brag about them because I didn't write any of them. Graham, <laughs> Graham, our banjo player, is a fantastic songwriter and very prolific. And um, yeah, I think these are some of the best songs he's ever written. Yeah, we actually listened to the album on the way home from the gig. Even oh wow, yeah, cool. Thanks, yeah, was, that was great. Yeah, I'm like, oh man, these are these are all the tunes. But we were we were lucky. Like we we had just uh, you know we hadn't planned on a pandemic happening last. March with a lockdown, of course, but we had finished re recording an album with the Asheville Symphony in the fall, and then we um, had recorded our set for Merlefest the previous year that we were going to make a live record out, out of the North Carolina Songbook. just finished arm in arm in february of 2020 in nashville and then 2020 march 2020 everything shut down and so we had three records in the can and and we ended up releasing them all during the pandemic so that that was that was fortunate at least because we couldn't play shows for many months and and then obviously this new album too and then now you know being off the road this is the longest that i have been off the road in my entire adult life i've not been home for i've been home for over a year and haven't been home that much and just 
you know, like most people during this past year, year and a half, I've, I've just had a lot of free time. And I said to Barrett, I was like, man, this is, this is our chance. Let's, uh, let's get together and, and work up the tunes we want to record for an Italian record. And he was like, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. You guys live near each other? We do. He lives in Asheville. I live in Brevard, North Carolina, which are about 30 miles apart. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And you know, we, uh, we both felt pretty, pretty safe about, we, I knew he was being real careful with the pandemic and sure. I was too and masking up and just staying home mostly. And, and so we, we were able to get together and we, we did a lot of like, uh, here, I'm going to send you a demo, you know, from my home recording and then send it to him and he would send stuff back. We did a lot of that too, sure. you know, just remote kind of demo making that way. And then we got together in, uh, I think we started in January of this year. Um, going into the studio and recording oh, okay. and did did three three different little mini sessions. Oh wow, it's a quick turnaround, man. Yeah, I mean we uh, we wanted to record re- record it live, you know, and so it that actually makes the process usually go quicker when you're when you're playing all the parts at the same time. There's a lot of there's some overdubs on the on the record too. Actually, quite a quite a bit of mandolin harmony parts, but um, all the the mandolin one and guitar stuff was tracked live. We'll dig into it a little bit more when we get Barrett, Barrett in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you guys on the road when everything shut down or were you home? No, we were actually in Ireland. We were we were on tour in the UK with Steve Martin and Martin Short with oh, their with their wow. tour. Yeah. And we uh so funny, man. We we had just played in uh in Scotland and then we had just played uh we were supposed to play in London two nights at at Royal Albert Hall. And we were in Dublin and we just played this huge arena with them and had gone to a pub uh, the night before in Dublin, this famous pub where the, the Dubliners famous Irish band had started. And we're, we were actually playing music with the locals in the pub and it was packed shoulder to shoulder with people, hundreds of people, <laughs> you know, and it's great. And then we finished the show in the arena with like 4,000 people. And then we get back to the hotel and we're in the hotel lobby and then we see the everybody gets a notification on their phones that the they're going to close the border you know like you gotta you know basically you gotta get home (laughs) right away and so we were on a plane the next morning back to the united states just like that you know and like scared to like touch each other and everybody's wearing masks and the night before we're all in a in a pub you know (laughs) just shoulder to shoulder it was kind (laughs) of It's kind of it's kind of silly when you think about it. Yeah, it was frightening though. It was, you know, it was. Wow, that at least you could uh, you could get out and. I mean, did you have to worry about like gear, or do you pretty much have just like when you go on a European tour like that, so just kind of carry on stuff? You don't have to. Um, we the there was a, there was a that tour has a pretty extensive crew, and they they handled all the gear. We had all of our instruments, okay, you right. know, with us, sure. But, but yeah, and and they, I think they just backline most of the stuff. You know, I don't right. think they brought a lot of gear over. True, oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, wow, man, that's wild. Yeah. So you you guys, by the way, the other part I want to say is um, everybody in your band apparently is great at every instrument that's on that stage. <laughs> yeah, you know that everybody plays multiple instruments in yeah. the in the band. You know, Mike, our drummer, like he he plays every instrument on stage really well. And Barrett plays, you know, great guitar. Graham plays guitar in the banjo, and I play guitar. I was a guitar player before I was a mandolin player. Nikki can pick up anything and, and play it too, our fiddle player. Um, 
so yeah i mean it's it's uh and we try to you know mix it up with people playing different instruments in the show just to add some variety to the show yeah it's great and your harmonies live are killer man no oh, thanks holy cow and everybody sings in the band yeah. too yeah yeah when you do um um well the um I'm going to say the name of the stand, the Moses tune. Oh, Be Still Moses. Be Still Moses. Yeah. That's just like, poof. I mean, I don't care if you're not even a music fan. <laughs> if you were walking by, that would stop you. Oh, thanks. You're like, wow, that's, there's something in there. That's, you know, it's pretty deep. And then that tune, um, the one, um, does it take a little bit? or uh, Oh, the one about Cortez, yeah. Everything You Know. Everything You Know. Yeah. Yeah. And the, Bar the, Barrett actually sings that as yeah. the lead singer on that one. He's got yeah. a great voice too, man. He's got a great voice. Cortez sailed on his boat so brave It was too late to trade His treasures for feathers As he went sinking down under the waves Where his cannons won't fire And his flags won't wave no more No ship let go You know, and that was, that, that was a cool thing when when Barrett joined the band a few years ago, um, not only were we getting a great bass player, but we knew we were gaining another great vocalist and not just a harmony vocalist, a lead vocalist. You know, he's a great singer. Well, we're talking about the live show. A, a couple things I noted while watching was one is how do you warm up beforehand? Because you are just king of downstrokes. <laughs> and, I mean, I think my wrist felt sore watching you. <laughs> and, but you, I mean... You come out and you you guys come out firing right away. You know there there was no like yeah, I've definitely seen shows where it's like oh you know third or fourth song the, like, the players in the groove or whatever. But you you were you were a game immediately. Well, I th <laughs> thanks. Uh, I mean, just like everybody, we we just we just warm up, especially because we hadn't played a show together in so many years. So we did a pretty long sound check slash rehearsal before the <laughs> before the show uh yesterday and um but yeah we we like to it's funny we we when we're when we're on stage we kind of play our we play our own music original tunes and and it's not very traditional uh bluegrass stuff much anymore but when we're backstage we warm up with very traditional bluegrass oh cool flatten scruggs bill monroe oh yeah neat you know, doc watson right uh, just and, it, and it's fun that's awesome. know, just to kind of keep those tunes you know, in our, in our hands and our vocal cords. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do any stretching or any particular? I, I do stretch a little bit. Graham, Graham is really good about stretching, um, his hands, but I, I do stuff just try to keep, you know, just stay relaxed and start slow and get faster. You know, yeah. it, don't just, you don't want to just go out there and go from zero to a hundred <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You know, in the downstroke thing, man, it, you know, so many people say, stuff about that and how do you do that and how do you warm up and and it's like i don't know i see these guys play like a bazillion especially these young mandolin players out there and they play a bazillion notes so fast and i don't know how they do that <laughs> you know and and the downstroke thing it's just like i don't know it's like I, that's the way i that's the style that i play mm -hmm. and i think if you just that's what you do all the time um it just gets it gets easier and faster with experience so uh, it sounds like a like a lame answer when people say how do you do those fast downstrokes but it, really just do it sure like just play downstrokes a lot yeah <laughs> right right and, well and you also play, you played a lot of gigs so that's yeah. your style so it also yeah you know sure. so 
sometimes I think some of those questions come from people who just, you know, they're at home and don't really, you know, they pick up and play like 20 minutes a day or whatever. And it's a commitment, you know, it's not like you just picked up and sort of playing downstrokes like that and you were great at it. Right. No, <laughs> I, I, I actually remember I just started playing the mandolin in college and this guy that was taking lessons with Mike Compton played that way, played the Monroe style. Yeah. And I wasn't really, I hadn't really bought into the whole Monroe style thing right away. I, I Sam Bush and David Grisman and some of these guys were, were what I was listening to. Although now I realize those guys were very steeped in the Bill Monroe style. Um, but, um, but their music was so progressive. It didn't seem like it, I guess. But, um, yeah, and he was playing this downstroke style and just seeing it. That was the first time I'd seen it like right in front of me, somebody else do it. And I was like, Whoa, that's powerful. That's how I want to play. Yeah. You know, it just, it just hit me and, and I just, dug into the bill monroe you know yeah that's great man thing. that sounds awesome and it doesn't sound like you're aping anything either you know what i mean it's yeah. it's it's um it's very much you sound like you i think well you know? i think you know well thanks first of all I, I i couldn't sound like bill monroe or anybody if i i don't think if i if i wanted to but you know it's the tr it's the trying to that gets you to develop your own style. Right. You know, it's the trying to sound like your heroes, the people that you are inspired by, that you you start to figure out what what you your limitations. I think was it John Harford that said style is based largely on limitations. Oh, it might be. I'm not. Sure. I don't want to misquote it, but it's not, yeah. It sounds like and I don't think I'm say. saying it exactly <laughs> exactly right. But that's that's the gist of it. Is mm -hmm. like your style is really based on what you can't do, not what you can do. Right. A lot of times. Yeah. You know. What's your uh, what's your live rig? You were you were totally wireless. Yeah, which is uh, yeah we I can't remember what the impetus was originally to go wireless, but it is nice because it it adds a dynamic a visual dynamic, you know to the to the show because we can spread out and really fill a big stage, you know in like an arena or something like that. But then we can play a small club or. And we can also come in really tight around one mic, you know, and, and there's a part of our show, as you saw, where we, we bring out one large diaphragm mic and we crowd around it and, and play in a more traditional way. But then we can spread out. I can move around. I can go around to the drums in the back and get on the riser and, you know, do stuff with him. And um, it just I think visually it's 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 pretty interesting not being tied to that microphone. But you do get a trade off, of course, in the tone in the sound we're using we're using pickups now um and not microphones for our instruments uh, actually i think nikki's still using a microphone on the on the fiddle but um and yeah you do you do lose some tone quality there for sure still sounded good though man but it still sounds good yeah you know but that's kind of when you're playing with a full drum kit and with you know you know graham's playing electric banjo now and <laughs> right and electric guitar on some things and you know when you've got that sort of rock kind of foundation going mm -hmm. you can't you can't have a little condenser mic up there yeah. you get the sound guy would complain when we used to we kind of tried to do that at first before we committed to the pickups and i would walk near the drums with the condenser mic a dpa on my mandolin and he said man every time you walk over near the drums the drum volume in the house would just go up 50 percent <laughs> <laughs> all it would do is pick up the drums and not the mandolin uh, uh, so, yeah okay uh, what kind of pickup are you using? I'm using a K and K yeah. on the mandolin and the mandola, um, and and that's my favorite pickup for sure. I like I prefer it. It's got two contact points that you glue to the top 
um, underneath the bridge. And so it's not built into the bridge itself. And I just, I feel like it gets more of the wood sound. For sure. That's know. my favorite one. I've used, I've probably owned all of and probably like you. I, I mean, I've gone through the bridge ones, the contact ones, like right. the Shirtler, the, I've done them all. And, and, and it has the best rejection of other sound coming into it. Like I can even plug my mandolin into, uh, I have a Vox amp that I have played with my electric mandolin that I don't play with the Rangers, but, um, and I can plug it into that and turn it up really loud Yeah, and it doesn't feedback. Yeah. You know, that's, that's great. So that's pretty cool. Are you running into any sort of preamps or pedals or anything that um, I didn't see anything? I mean, you have a front of house guy. I'm guessing yeah, that that's all, all that. that's all done through, through front of house mm -hmm. because it's wireless. You've got to sure. you just have this little pack on, you know? Um, so no, all that's done through the, through the head amps and, and stuff at the front of house. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, it sounded great. Your front of house guy was surprised to hear that it was guy that used to work with you guys. Yeah. And then, yeah. He was filling in, um, um, he used to work with us for years and he's great and he knows the way acoustic instruments sh should sound and but also can kind of mix the the drums and kind of make it all work together now obviously you you used you were using kimball mandolins yes. and, and mandola yesterday yep. you obviously there's a lore that you use and that was my biggest concern yesterday that was like, there's not no the lore. way it could be there's no. no way it could be the lore in the rain <laughs> it was not the lore in the rain and i and i can't play the lore with um the band with the drums sure. anymore with the microphone it just doesn't it just doesn't work but i do still play it you know daily and with other with when we put go out with steve and we're just using microphones i'll i'll play it with those on those shows and um other gigs around town and local gigs and stuff like that and record if i ever i record i always use the lore right although that brings us to the new album because you did not use the lore on a new album. Well, that's true. So that just disregard what I just said. <laughs> if I'm if I'm playing bluegrass type right. music, right. I will use the lore. If I'm playing Italian folk music, that is not the right mandolin for that music either. Yeah, yeah. So what is the instrument that you used? Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Um, it's a it's a mandolin that's new to me. I and when we when Barrett and I decided that we were going to make a record, I was like, okay, well, let's get the tunes together. And then I was making these demos like i said we were sending kind of demos back and forth to each other and and i was like this the and i was playing the lore and i was like this just doesn't sound right like, <laughs> right. this doesn't have the tone it's not a it's not a bullback mandolin or it's not an oval hole mandolin it's an f-hole mandolin and it just has a different tone and i was like i've got to get a i've got to get a different instrument well right along around the same time a friend of mine who kind of uh buys mandolins um, he kind of buys a lot of old mandolins and he resells them and keeps some of them. And, um, he, uh, he had this Vega 1918 Vega two point, um, cylinder back. They call it a loop mandolin, but a lot of collectors call it the cylinder back because it, it looks like it's got a cylinder going through the back of it. It's got a big, it's sort of a semi bull back, if you will. Right. Um, and, uh, he had never seen one. I'd heard of them but I'd never seen one and he brought it over and said, here, check this out and keep it for a little while and play it. And I did. And, and I was like, man, this thing's cool. And I, and it's an oval hole mandolin. And, uh, and I really liked the way it sounded. I was trying out the Italian music on it and it was really, I was really liking the way it sounded on that. And, uh, I asked, asked my friend, John, I said, can I, can I play it on the record? He said, sure. And I said, I'm going to take it to get it fixed. 
and get it set up. You know, it needed it needed a fret job, and uh, it it just hadn't been set up in a long time. And um, he said, "I'll split the cost with you." You know, and I was like, "Okay, great." And uh, and I took it, and then I told him how much it was going to be, and it was going to be quite a bit more than I thought it was going to be. And and uh, he said, "Hang on, let me talk to my wife." And then he came back and he said, "Why don't you just keep it?" <laughs> he said, "You pay for all the repairs and you just keep it." It's amazing. And I was like, "Wow, okay." It's a good friend. He's a great friend. He's a very <laughs> generous, kind soul. Great friend. Um, yeah, and and so that's I'm playing this Vega cylinder back on on the mandolin. That's now my go to, and it's great for me because it's not a bullback. Which the bullback is just a little awkward for me still because I'm so used to playing the American style mandolin as a thinner body, and it was just so awkward for me with the with the bullback, the instrument being so far away um, from from you know my view. Right. It's just it's just I'm just not quite. I, I guess I could get comfortable with it if I had one and spent a lot of time with it. But but the cylinder back's nice because it is it has that bullback sound, but it's not quite as big. You know, it's kind of in between right. the bullback and the I'll post a F5. They're really cool looking. I mean, it looks like a two-point from the front. Yeah, it's a two-point. Yep, yep. And you know uh, that that wonderful album that David Grisman did with Tony Rice Tone Poems? Yeah. He plays one on, I think it's Grandfather's Clock, mm -hmm. the track. And there's a, if you look in the liner notes, there's a picture of one and kind of talks about the history of it. Yeah. Really cool. That's awesome, man. Was there something from bluegrass playing wise to Italian playing wise that you had to kind of forget when you go into the Italian style of, of mandolin playing or something that is like, yeah, chords, <laughs> <laughs> you don't play a lot of chords right? or you don't play a lot of rhythm. You do play chords, but you mm -hmm. play them sort of like at the end of phrases, you like kind of hit like a, you know, an A minor or something like that. Gotcha. But, um, no, that's one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about it more when Barrett's here, but um, yeah, you don't, you don't really play rhythm. You play the melody the whole time, sort of like old time fiddle music, right. you know, the, the mandolin in this, in this genre just plays the melody the whole time. The guitar plays rhythm for the most part. Um, so that, that's been one thing, but you, you'd be surprised the crossover and the technique. It requires a similar technique. You know, you're trying to play, you're trying to play clean. You're trying to play loud. Um, you're trying to play, um, you know, with gusto and, uh, and really play out. You right. Know, um, it's very similar, more similar than different, I would say. And uh, but obviously with Italian folk music, there's just a lot of tremolo, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's the that's kind of the the core of of the music. Really, it's like if you play, if you get to a long note, if you get to sometimes even quarter notes, but if definitely a half note, anything longer than a quarter note, half notes, whole notes, you're going to play tremolo, yeah. you know. And that's just that's just the style. And you could tell, especially now listening to this album this week, um, like you could hear some of it in the playing. In the Rangers was probably something oh, yeah. you you probably don't <laughs> even realize it, and it doesn't. It's nothing that um, would stand out as like whoa, that doesn't. I mean, it's just it was interesting to see like oh man, yeah, you can completely hear that influence in like whatever it was that you might have been playing at that point. I'm yeah, like, that's cool. so cool, man. You know, to see like the, you know, it's just more becoming more of you, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, I, I got into playing the mandolin because of tremolo. To me, that is what is so attractive about the sound of the mandolin. To me, that's what it was designed 
how it was designed to be played. Right. Um, and that's what I, that's what I love. That's what I gravitate toward. I gravitate toward players that play with lots of tremolo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I love it for the, um, if somebody were to want to start to play Italian mandolin, kind of dump this into the, uh, the 10 minutes a day of things as we already did like that yeah. in the last podcast. But is there like a, like a tune or something that you would steer somebody towards to be like, okay, well, you know, if you want to jump into it and get an idea, this is a really good spot to jump uh, where you will pick up some techniques and. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most famous mazurka, a mazurka is a, is a waltz. So it's in three, three quarter time with an accent on the second beat. Um, the most famous one is probably Traveglia e Sono. that I heard and which one of the first ones that I learned to play you hear it in movies sometimes and things like that um, but it's in G minor and um, it just has all the things in it you know it's in G minor and it's got uh, um, a lot of arpeggios and a lot of tremolo and um, a lot of harmonic minor um, and things like that um, that would be a tune if I had to pick a tune that I would say that would be one of the first ones I'd say look at and listen to. Is there one out there for you that is like, this is, if I could play this, <laughs> if I could play this tune, you know, this is the, this is the eruption or the, um, yeah. or the, uh, rawhide. This is the oh, raw, right, right. Yeah. This is the rawhide of uh, Italian. I like the Van Halen reference. Yeah, they, <laughs> that was, that was yeah, good. R.I.P. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot, but one that, that is, that is, more common, I guess, if you could even say that with a genre of music, is Costumi Siciliani. play it great <laughs> but i'm getting better uh we did a concert with carlo onzo yeah. last um i guess two decembers ago whenever the last december was before the pandemic we did he came to brevard and we played a, a a concert with him at this performing arts center there and we played the tune it's got two mandolins um so he he i played the second mandolin part which is much easier than the <laughs> first mandolin part um but you know, it's real virt- virtuosic. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, Giovanni Giovale. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. The name sounds familiar, but... Um, but he's one of the greatest mandolin players of all time. And, um, and uh, yeah, he, it's, it's just a really hard piece to play. So that's definitely one. And there, but there's a, there's a lot out there. And there's a lot that I know I'll probably never be able to play because it's some of the hardest music ever 
written for, sure. for the mandolin. Um, but it's fun to try, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and I'd like to continue to write, you know, write pieces and things like that, um, in that, in that style for sure. That's awesome. All right. So we just got joined by Barrett here and now we're going to talk a bit about this new release that you guys recorded here in the downtime. And I think the first thing I think that's killer about is this is like a legitimate passion project. Yeah, it really has been. I mean, sure. we, we've been both playing in our respective bands, and now Barrett is in the Steep Canyon Rangers in the, la the last three years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And but we started doing this um, really right after college, mm -hmm. and uh, we, you know, with no intentions of making albums or touring or anything like that. We just, I just love the music, and I knew Barrett would be the the person that would be perfect for the the style of music just because he sort of has a classical background as well but mm. plays bluegrass plays acoustic music and uh we just started doing it right out of college and just kind of kept doing it over the years and it took a pandemic to, to get <laughs> us to slow down enough to actually make a record yeah and, and and so um the name of the album uh, i'm gonna murder it so i'll just have you say the name <laughs> of the album mia dolce farfalla yeah uh, yeah, that's very Italian sounding to you, right? There, very coming Italian. out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the uh, a song that I wrote. Butterfly, and a lot of people see the farfalla pasta, the bow tie, mm -hmm. they call it bow tie pasta, yeah. or but it looks like a butterfly. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that word. And um, on the album cover is the uh, is a Antonio Grosso mandolin that has the butterfly. He would put butterflies on the inlay, on the pick guards, and on the sometimes on the headstock. And um, so I thought it was you know the butterflies kind of always been a symbol for the mandolin and the tremolo and. Um, a lot of builders put put man, uh, butterflies on the mandolins, and uh, yeah, so we thought that would be a good a good title track, and mm -hmm. it's the only original song. I know, yeah, I was I was, was going <laughs> to brag on you since you're less likely to do it for yourself. It's the one original song from the album, uh, which is cool because here we kind of we adopted this this tradition of music and came in kind of as outsiders with it, and it took us a long time for either of us to like actually start composing music in that style but uh but mike kind of like knocked it out of the park and made a really beautiful composition that ended up being the title track yeah you would not know if if you were to have somebody listen to this entire album i don't think unless they were an expert in italian music it would be they'd be hard-pressed to figure out which one was the one that you wrote true <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean mm -hmm. i think they all it sounds traditional and, and amazing so i think that's great yeah he honored the tradition for sure so what's what do you learn before we get into the tunes of the album? You, you know, you started playing these Italian songs early, but obviously it's like anything, like with bluegrass, when you first start playing bluegrass, you've come a long way from where you start to there. What is it in the Italian music that you find like immersing yourself into or maybe kind of figuring out along the way, like, oh, you know what, this is, this, is this portion mm -hmm. of it's starting to make sense. Yeah, you know, we, we, Barry and I often talk about how similar the, 
Italian folk music is to like old time music yeah. and bluegrass fiddle and, tunes and fiddle tunes yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know there's sort of these like uh, things that happen in every song you know that mm-hmm. are kind of predictable that make it what it is that make it that style of music um, whether it's court you know keys like mm-hmm. you know things are in A minor and D minor mm-hmm. and G minor and E minor because of the open strings of the mandolin right. you know and it, it's mandolin music you know mm-hmm. just like fiddle tunes are fiddle music and, and are you know geared toward those keys you know same thing in, in, in this genre and there's chord structures that happen yep. you know and you, you know more about that than I do because the mandolin unlike in, in bluegrass uh, in old time or more so in bluegrass the mandolin just plays the melody the whole time yeah. right you know sort of like an old time you know fiddle player would um, and the guitar traditionally just plays the chords yep. it's just accompaniment like old time music wow. as well um so sometimes i don't even know mm-hmm. uh all the chords that are going on true and you do sort of your own interpretations of things sometimes too and we have barrett play lead guitar on a few of the tracks on the, on the album and yeah you know kind of do our own take on things too. yeah that's that's one of the ways that we kind of i mean we do try to honor the tradition and, it, and it's such a unique thing that doesn't get heard very much so we really see ourselves as one of our main roles is just bringing this music in as pure a form as possible out and sharing it with people to help it along because we believe in it and it's so beautiful and we want other people to play it that said we do break the rules inevitably and that's a good example right there and traditionally you don't hear the guitar taking solos or playing the melody at all. I can't think of any examples from old recordings. Can you? Yeah, I mean, unless unless it's like a lot of times the mandolin players, um, we're talking about early 1900s, that time period when this music was really being composed and performed, mandolin players would often play guitar and play it like a mandolin with tremolo, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and then there was, you know, like Pasquale Tarafo, the yeah. famous Italian yeah. guitarist. Um, who played the harp guitar? Oh yeah, you know with, mm-hmm. the, with the the bass strings and you know he, that obviously, but it was solo, you know usually mm-hmm. solo guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is a little different. We we kind of treat it more like we would an old time or bluegrass song sometimes, with the, where I'll play chords and he'll play mm-hmm. the lead in our shows. Yeah. Oh, you know, cool. Yeah. To, to shake up the dynamics, and I want to pause and just like and really put that out there, Tarafo, you know, like they're they're virtuosi out in the world and the and jazz and bluegrass and old time as we know acoustic music i mean they're everywhere out there in the world and that is one this tarafo guy that you know very few americans have ever heard of him he's a real virtuoso that whose music is really worth checking out he's a harp guitar player he does these solo uh, arrangements and they're really unbelievable Norman Blake wrote a song and I can't I, I'm not gonna butcher the title because I don't remember what it was but it was a tribute 
To Tarafo? Yeah, it's like no way. Pasquale oh, Tarafo comes to town or ah. something like oh, that. Oh, get out of here, really? I love that. Yes. So God Norman Blake. Oh, that's amazing. Obviously. He's, he's amazing. Man. He is. Yeah, he's, oh, wow. He's a musicologist. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, Gugino and in a little bit of the um, the liner notes here, you talk about your family and, and Italian music. But it was interesting for me last night because when you um, I saw you guys at the Spoleto Festival, mm -hmm. and you talked about how you actually spent time in Spoleto. Yeah, which I, is a, which is kind of a pretty cool tie-in mm -hmm. to to everything there. Ba so Barrett's actually spent more time in Italy than I have. Yeah, <laughs> really, and, no and kidding. It really, probably speaks better Italian. Than I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, there was a time where I was fluent. There was a time where I was fluent, basically. You know, and that's not true anymore because I'm out of practice. But I would say that was. I mean, in addition to being good friends and musical colleagues, I think that my Italian experience was probably one of the things that made you want to bring that music yeah, to me because I spoke Italian. Um, of course, at the time, we weren't singing songs at all at that point. We were just playing. It was all instrumental. Uh, but still just having, you know, at, especially at that time, I was, uh, when we started this, I was... I was kind of half Italian and thinking that I was going to be spending half my year every year in Italy and wow. kind of moving there in a way. So that's yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was like for music or was it just, yeah, it was for music. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. Spoleto is this beautiful little town, medieval town right in the middle of Italy. And in addition to the big festival that they have there, which then Charleston adopted, started in Spoleto, of course. There, uh, there was also this really great, basically like a study abroad program for gifted kids from all over cool. in Spoleto. And I, at a young age, kind of weaseled my way onto the faculty of that study abroad program. And it kept me in Italy. I would live <laughs> in this town and then, and then travel around Italy and play music in the street. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So that sounds terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty romantic. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I got to say, I miss it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this now very little of me is Italian anymore, except uh, except this project. This is what like really keeps me tethered to Italy. Yeah. That's um, amazing. Yeah, and someday we'll take it back to Italy. I always say that. Yeah, someday we will. Because sure, we talk about that. That would be. It would be. I, I would be curious to see how Italians accept this music or not. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. It's just not. You know, when I when I've been in Italy, I, I've just ne not seen this music played anymore over there sure and Barry mm -hmm. and i talk about that often that mm -hmm. it's just um you know there was a folk revival here in the united states in the 60s and that didn't happen in italy and i think this music was written in the late 1800s early 1900s um and that was a really difficult time for italy in its history um socially politically yeah there was a lot of bad things going on uh in the early 1900s and I think, you know, it was it Beppe Gambetta we were talking with, mm -hmm. to about this, and he was just saying that a lot of people associate that with kind of a negative time in, wow. in, yeah. in history. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have this, like, romantic 
sort of thing that, that our folk music has in America, unfortunately. Um, there are certainly people playing this music in Italy, mm -hmm. in villages and towns. Um, it's just not like in concert halls and mm -hmm. uh, at festivals, right? Quite like it is with our folk music here in the United States. Sure. When I went to Ireland, it was very similar. Like I went to like five different pubs, hoping to hear Irish music, and everything was like Johnny Cash and the Beatles. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can hear this <laughs> <laughs> anywhere, you know. And then you finally find like the little places. And, and also, this music is—it's really interesting because it—it it is semi-classical mm -hmm. it, it's true it, yeah it's got this classical part of it and this folk part of it and sometimes i get confused on w what which songs are which or you know yeah. or which artists are more classical artists mm -hmm. which ones were more just like folk artists and uh, it's not as like well defined as for us with old time and bluegrass music here sure is and so it's it's really interesting and some some songs are very like simple dance tunes and then some songs like were obviously composed to be performed at a performance concert hall right. you know a performance piece and it gets kind of blurry which ones are which yeah and, you know we tried to have a little bit of both on this record yeah and i think we went more towards the sort of dance mm -hmm. you know music it all sounds very virtuosic though it, it you know is, it's mean, hard to play i mean for the mandolin especially it's yeah i would say and it's and i mean and it's mandolin music and, mm -hmm. and there's some of it which is really really that i'm not stuff that we recorded but just some of the music that's out there these old recordings again from the early 1900s where it's just some of the most amazing mandolin playing you've ever heard um and it's just it's as virtuosic playing as there's ever been right i think on the mandolin wow you know it was a real golden age for the mandolin and um it's 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 amazing it's inspiring for sure yeah yeah i mean even just listening to the album you know when i first listened to it i'm like oh man i mean just the tremolo workout well I mean, yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. you know it was just like and i think that that's the other thing though is i think people I think the the bummer thing about maybe Italian music is people automatically just think the Godfather theme song, sure, yeah. and then kind of you know just stereotype it as oh that's a, what Italian mandolin is, but that's not, you know, it's like a sampling, yeah. <laughs> oh you know, yeah, it's you know it's it's in a movie, but the there this this whole album is so good, and I I think everybody needs to listen to it for sure, and not just because I love it, but it's just like it's just like an experience as opposed to just listening to a recording. Yeah, well, we, we uh, you know, like I said, the only recordings that we have of this genre of music are mostly are just really old. Yeah. You know, some of them 100 years old or close to it, and uh, or at least before 1950, you know. And they're all really scratchy. A lot of them are from <laughs> 78s that have been digitized and things like that. Um, Rounder released um, a, a thing, and Global Village released a couple albums, and... Um, I think Grisman released the one of Giovanni Giovale. Yep. Um, you know, but those recordings are really scratchy and old, old sounding. And we, mm -hmm. I, we just wanted this album to kind of not sound like old and scratchy, but mm -hmm. just sound live and yeah. real and right. kind of, you know, honor that tradition a little bit. Yeah. And not, and not go for like this super like clean polish, mm -hmm. like crisp bluegrass instrumental sound that we might have done with the band or yeah, something sure. like that. Right. It's right. definitely vibey. Vibey. That's, yeah, that's, it's it's really cool, man. Cool. It definitely yeah, is, cool. is warm. 
We played, we, we just set up, um, we worked with an engineer in, in Black Mountain, North Carolina, just outside of Asheville, um, our good friend Seth Kaufman. Seth is a, he's more of an indie rock producer and musician, indie rock producer and musician, and he um, plays the bass. He actually plays bass mm -hmm. on, on the record. And, um, but his whole thing is vibe, mm -hmm. you know, and aesthetic. And that's why we wanted to use them. And we just kind of set a bunch of, we had a bunch of room mics and then some close mics on the instruments, but we played everything live. You know, we would just play the tracks, you know, top to top to bottom. And of course I would go back and overdub. There's, there's harmony mandolin parts on almost everything. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then some other rhythm, like when Barrett would play lead guitar, we would overdub a rhythm guitar part you know so so the bottom wouldn't drop out sure. of the mm -hmm. of the sound but other than that it's 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 a live it's a live record yeah and so what was some of these tunes you learned and again from the liner notes like from sheet music mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't even like you had a reference recording to hear true yeah that that was that was interesting you know um having the sheet music and not Hearing, you know, I'd say half the songs that we'd had recordings of, and maybe the other half there was I'd never heard any recording of, and that's why I wanted to record them. Yeah. But I had these sheet music arrangements with the mandolin one, the mandolin two, and the guitar trio, um, and it just, you know, I would, I, pl I just played through a bunch of different things until I found stuff that I thought would work for the project, and that was it was neat to think that maybe this was the first time some of these. Yeah trios these uh mandolin trios have been recorded <laughs> that's know. amazing now you have a background in in music as far as like yes yeah so like looking at sheet music you're not looking at it going like i think it sounds like this right. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> well you know I, I i always go by ear first and if, mm -hmm. I, if I can learn something from a recorded source i always prefer that sure. but yeah I, I grew up playing classical music played the piano first and then saxophone and band when i was in uh middle school and high school and actually was a classical guitar major in college when i met barrett mm -hmm. we didn't go to the same school but um but yeah we were both guitar majors in mm -hmm. college so we both had classical backgrounds could read music and that that mm -hmm. helps you know uh, yeah it's nice but i i definitely always go with my ear first so sure if, so if i can find a recording of something because you can just hear more of like just the the dynamics and the emotion and yeah. you know but it was kind of fun to like look at this sheet music and you know it's you know it's a blank slate you can kind of do what you want with it because you don't you're not you're not influenced by somebody else's interpretation of what the composer had in mind right yeah um what was the hardest song to record for the uh, that's a good question that is a good question what 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 would you say for you maybe it's mm. the same maybe it's different I remember which one it was for me. You know, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer to that question. I, they all they all came across the same way. What's your take on it? But mine was Speranze Perdute. Oh, that was definitely the hardest. Which was ironic. Which because, was ironic. We yeah. had been playing that song the longest. And we had, 
uh, just a really kind of go with the flow mentality about Speranze Pedute well, in our live performances. And then when, when it came down to recording it, we said, okay, we need to tighten this thing down. And in the tightening down, it all changed to something new. Right. And yeah, I would so say it became really difficult. That, yeah. that tune in particular was the most well-known tune. That tune has been recorded a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of versions of that tune and, mm -hmm. and any, anybody that kind of gets their feet wet in Italian folk music has probably heard that tune or even plays that tune. Gotcha. It's in a lot of books and things like that. But I wanted to include it cause I love it and it's mm -hmm. so fun to play. And, and I have this great version of uh, my favorite Italian mandolin player is Giovanni Vicari. And I have a great version of, of him playing it. And I just always liked the way he played that tune. And I kind of wanted it to honor that as much as possible, not copy it, but you know, mm -hmm. kind of that, that arrangement of it and that treatment of it. And like Barrett said, we've been playing it for so long and then we kind of got in the studio and started playing it. And we're like, this, this is not happening uh -huh. the way we, we, we thought it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I we know. thought it was going to be that one of the easier tunes. For sure. We it assumed so it would be. Right. Yeah. But, um, but I think it came off great. I think, <laughs> I think it did too. Yeah. And, and I think it's a great little model for a lot of the way we've approached the music from the get go, which is, I mean, we, we bumbled into this music really very naive about the whole thing some years ago and and with no teachers no teachers no mentors and yeah. and really it's i mean mostly because it's hard to find you just can't find people who play the music really sure. which has become part of our mission with this whole thing it's like why why can't this music be like for all the mandolin players who are listening why can't this music become part of the mandolin kind of canon and songs that you would learn mm -hmm. For the technical aspects of it because it's beautiful um because the mandolin actually comes from italy you know there's like yeah. lots of there's a big big case you can make for like let's all play this music together it's really cool i mean that's my that's what i'm saying for sure that's yeah. what you do yeah so we i mean we bumbled into it and didn't have any teachers and the whole like i feel like we can't go any farther without mentioning this name like the whole thing changed when we found a book written by this lady Sherry Mignano is her name. Crawford. Crawford, yeah. right. Sherry Mignano Crawford. And, uh, and we found this book of hers full of sheet music of all these songs. I mean, hundreds of songs yes, in that it's one It's called book. Mandolin Melodies. Have you seen it? I have not seen it, but yeah. I think I saw it referenced in here. Yeah. And, it, and I believe it's referenced in here. I think... Like, you have a few different books that are referenced in the notes. I think I Oh, yeah, here it is. Mandolin Melodies. Mandolins like salami. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And mandolins like salami is sort of a history book that kind of goes with it. It's it's all about the. She's in San Francisco, and there was a, there was definitely a scene of Italian mandolin players in San Francisco. There's some in New York, and mm -hmm. and and San Francisco as well was another place in the United States where you could hear this music where it was, really, played and perpetuated and passed down for generations. And and she, um, grew up in the bay area playing with these some of these mandolin players um she's an accordion player and, oh wow and and she just has this real respect and reverence for italian mandolin music and so she she basically made like a real book like in jazz the real book yeah. she made a real book for balolicio or italian smooth dance italian dance music mazurkas tarantellas waltzes polkas and, she, and it's called Mandolin Melodies. And I bought it from her about um, 20 years ago, I think. Wow. <laughs> right when we kind of <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. got into this. I know. 
I know. You were only three years old. It's unbelievable. <laughs> How'd you know? How is that possible? Um, but yeah, so Sherry, um, I actually, years later, flew flew to San Francisco to play with the, the band. And I reached out to her. I said, I'm, I'm coming into town. Can we get together? And she said, yeah. She said, bring your mandolin and meet me at this cafe. And let's play some tunes. Wow. And and we did and uh, we've become friends and and I actually communicated with her a lot um putting this project together just about mm-hmm. tunes and chart she she has collected um the sheet music, you know, and has it on a database. I think it's on the Mandolin Cafe uh message board somewhere there's in the in the thread you can she sent it to me, but I I think it's available for anybody oh, wow. to get it with just all the tunes um, that are uploaded to this database on like a Dropbox file. Get out of here. And you can just find the music for, you know, hundreds of tunes. And, That's and, amazing. Re- and recordings, vintage recordings too. Oh, yeah, it's so, huge. So like one of the tunes, uh, um, the polka that we recorded, Elvira, I just ha- I've had the sheet music of that, not from her book. I got it from somewhere else. I don't remember for, for a long time. And I'd never really learned it. And then I learned it and said, Barrett, we should play this polka on the record. And I never had a recording of it. And then I told her about it. She's like, oh, yeah, here, check out this recording of Vakari, the mandolin player that I was talking about that right. I love so much. Here, here's a recording of him doing it. And it was really scratchy and out of tune. But mm-hmm. yeah. um, I was like, well, we had already recorded the tune. And then it was so cool to hear this version. So that's the kind of, you know, she was a very great resource. That's great. And, and finding the stuff. So the, the music's out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think a lot of mandolin players would, would really love this music if they dove into it. And some of, if you can read music, that's even better because you have the sheet music there. But if mm-hmm. not, there are recordings out there to, to be had too. Sure. Uh, that Elvira. Yeah. That's probably my favorite tune on the album. Oh, cool. oh yeah. I just yeah, love it. that one too. See, I tell Barrett all the time, everybody loves a polka. I do, I do remember coming to you. We kind of had the maybe 10 tracks selected. And we're like, okay, cool. That's it. And I said, we need a polka. Yeah. And he was kind of like, uh, yeah. do we? Do we? Yeah. I mean, so that's never been said question. in history. Yeah, right. The musical world. We need a polka. That sounds like an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the Italian polka is a lot different than the German sure. sort of umpa beer garden band polka oh, it's way sexier it's way sexier yeah, way sexier. yeah no it's, that's a cool yeah. one what's your, so uh favorite if you had to pick a favorite tune on this album um you know i really like ada the mazurka on there
listen to that track on this record, it's my, f- it sounds the best to me. For I can't explain why. Mm-hmm. Like the the tones of the instruments and the arrangement and everything about it just sounds like that's the way I wanted this record to sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel that. It's like a perfect example of the of the way this music to me could could sound mm-hmm. in a modern way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 How about you? Elvira Polka nice. all day long. I'm a polka man now, Boy. thanks to <laughs> thanks to Mike. Really changed your uh I did. On this. No, I, I I do. It is one of my favorite tracks on it, but I also love uh uh Tenebre Infinita. Oh yeah. Because that's just I love the feel of that. It's, that it's is just, that's the most different sounding mm-hmm. song on the record. It's a, I guess you would call it a rumba. There was a there was mm-hmm. a definite Latin influence uh, in the United States. So these so you've got all these Italian immigrants coming to the United States in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, and they're they're bringing this music tradition, and it actually survived and expanded more in the United States than it did in Italy. Wow! And there's definitely this Latin influence because of all the um, immigrants from Latin countries that were here too. And I mean, even my grandfather, who grew up in Tampa, Florida, and I talk about this in the liner notes, um, you know, his neighbor, his Italian neighborhood, there was a lot of Puerto Rican and Cuban um, immigrants there as well. Mm-hmm. And they kind of blended the cultures together and, you know, took things musically and with their food and all kinds of mm-hmm. things, you know. And um, so there is a lot of tunes that were written later in the, in the United States that have um, uh, tango feels and rumba and things like that and yeah and tenebre infinita was was one of those and it's it was actually written um for by one of the andrini brothers again we're in san francisco in the early 1900s and he um it was written later when when one of his brothers died um lorenzo andrini wrote it for his funeral oh wow you know it was a kind of requiem piece so it's really sad and brooding but it's it's also has this like sexiness to it, mm-hmm. this romantic, mm-hmm. you know, like you, it's, it, it could be a love song too. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Yep. Wow. Interesting to hear the history and how much you know about the songs. And that's what I, I mean, you can feel mm-hmm. it in the recording. I mean, that's, yeah, I think it's probably another part of it. I good. mean, part of it's the technical part, part of it's the studio setup, but part of it is, you know, mm-hmm. all the research that came, went into your head and your hearts and it's coming out the hands, you know what I mean? And you could definitely yeah. feel it in this recording. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, and I, it's definitely for me, it's very emotional. Um, this music, my, the reason that I got it, you know, I was a bluegrass mandolin player. I've been, been playing the mandolin since I was 19 and I definitely came to, to the mandolin from bluegrass from Sam Bush and David Grisman and Bill Monroe and, you know, not Italian, but then my grandfather who played the violin, um, right before he, he ended up having Alzheimer's and dementia. And, uh, 
the last couple of years of his life, he, he didn't, you know, couldn't remember much. He could remember really old things. He could remember his kindergarten teacher's name and he could remember how to play songs on his violin, but he couldn't remember my name sometimes or would mm -hmm. call me Joe by my dad's name. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I was mm -hmm. son, you know, things like that. Dementia is such an interesting thing, but, but right before that happened, when he still had his, had his memory, um, he played this melody on his violin for me. We were, we just, I don't know, I don't know why, but we, we were just kind of jamming. He, he's a classical musician on the violin and I had my mandolin. We were playing, I think we were playing some classical stuff and maybe some jazz stuff. And he played this melody, which is the, the Nono's, Nono's theme yeah. that we, that we do on this record. Mm -hmm. And it was just this one little melody in E minor. said I don't know but I remember it um, growing up in Tampa in the Italian neighborhood he was he was born his my great-grandparents came from Sicily and in, in 1912 and and settled in Tampa and my grandfather was born that year and he grew up in this Italian neighborhood in Tampa and he said he remembered people would go around with guitars and mandolins and fiddles and accordions and play this this music and he remembered that melody for some reason wow. that melody stuck to him he didn't remember what it was called or what it was i, I think it's a mazurka mm -hmm. it's what it sounds, it sounds like or a part of a mazurka it sounds like an it doesn't sound like a full song it's just kind of an a part and a b part and uh but he played that for me when i was right when i was first learning the mandolin and i've been listening to bluegrass and only playing bluegrass and i was like wait a second i'm, I'm italian american my last name is gugino and I'm playing the most Italian instrument that there is. And I've not thought about or even knew that there was this whole genre of music. And so that kind of set me off on this quest to find sheet music and recordings. And, and I just fell in love with it. And, and soon after that, that's when I reached out to Barrett and was like, hey, man, check out this music. <laughs> I found something. Yeah, I found something and I think you're, you're the guy for it. Absolutely, I was. Wow. Yeah, it's exciting to think about it in that way. I was just, as you were saying it, I was thinking in the context of, I mean, just imagine in a world without bluegrass music and old time music, which we know to be just this vast, you know, awesome world of music. In a world without that, if you suddenly heard like, uh, like Tennessee Waltz or something like that played by an old man and you said, Oh, that's interesting. What is that? Right. And you start to follow the thread a little bit. And then um, it, it makes me realize just how vital Sherry with as the archivist was, because imagine you find one person who has all of the like Stanley Brothers recordings and all and nobody else basically has them. I mean, they're really hard to find. And we found that person and, and a whole world of music opened up to us. And that's one of the main things about making this recording is like she kept the flame alive. You know, like this is a, this is a music that is in danger of disappearing and going into extinction, you know, because oh, people don't play it anymore. It, right. really, it really felt like nobody cared. Nobody, nobody cares. cares, but she cares, <laughs> but she cares. And now we so care. Much. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's uh -huh. kind of, kind of that sometimes that's the spark that needs to happen though. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like nobody was playing bluegrass at one point. It's true. You know, 
and, yeah. and I mean, they were, but it wasn't like, you know, it was way more of a rural thing. Nobody, you know, nobody right. probably ever expected to take yeah. off and it could have died easily too, yeah. you know? And a lot of this music was incorporated into the mandolin orchestra repertoire, True. you know, and that was a big thing again in the early 1900s was mandolin orchestras all over the country. And, and a lot of this music is a part of that repertoire was mm -hmm. incorporated into that mm -hmm. repertoire. And of course that di that diet, the mandolin orchestras kind of died out too. You right. know? I mean, there are still some today, mm -hmm. thankfully. Um, yeah. Wow, man. This is awesome. Yeah, I mean, cool. this is, this is I'm like... I'm so glad that you're interested in asking us questions about it because we love talking about yeah, it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sharing it with other people as much as we can. For sure. And it's I think really it's, good. I think it's a, a big props to you guys as far as um, you guys didn't have to do this. I mean, you're in a successful band in a genre that's, you know, doing just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have easily... I mean, you guys play with Steve Martin. You guys play festivals all over. Headline gigs at really cool places you didn't have to do anything like this but because it's you know in your hearts to do it you're doing mm -hmm. it and i think that's that's like something to be applauded so yeah. congratulations yeah, thanks absolutely all right thank you so much for listening thank you to mike and barrett for doing the podcast as you can tell it's near and dear to their hearts so please support it you can pre-order it now it comes out on june 14th which is a monday and they're actually doing a release show i'm going to go up to brevard and check that out so if you're going to be in Brevard, let me know. I'll say hey. Uh, and then also I'll have a link to where you can pre-order this to their website and also a link to they talk about on the Mandolin Cafe, uh, Sherry Crawford's um, thread. She just revived it here on the cafe where you can get a bunch of that music from. So go and check that out at my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. And now enjoy this track from the album. Cheers, everybody. Mm -hmm.